0: Okay, um, So this morning may be kind of tough if you've given up something for Lent, um, which you kind of were supposed to, as you may recall. And those of you who are newer to New Hope, you're off the hook on this. But the idea was that this year during Lent, uh, we're all uh, giving something up or we're maybe fasting for one meal a week or uh, something like that uh, In for two reasons. One, because this is a traditional... Kind of spiritual devotional activity that we do during Lent. Lent is a time of introspection. It's a time of self-denial, of examination of conscience, and so sometimes it can be useful to give something up as a way of reminding us at those times not only of God's blessings to us and and uh, how we don't deserve them, uh, and it's also a, a useful way of uh, you know remembering. <laughs> because we're reminded every time we have that craving for whatever it is, a piece of chocolate or, or uh, some such thing, we are reminded, frankly, of our own fallen nature, our own flesh, and the, the difficulty we have in taming this beast that we are. The other reason is that uh, we're uh, hoping to replenish our benevolent fund, which has been uh, tapped, uh, and then some this year in in. Uh, ensuring that we take care of people uh, in our community that are in need. So as a reminder, in two weeks at Easter, we're going to have a second offering, a special offering uh, that is going to be strictly for the Benevolent Fund, and that's when we encourage you to basically bring whatever you would have spent on these things that you gave up uh, as a special offering in two weeks. Um, So naturally this morning we're talking about bread and olive oil. Let me start in Romans 1. chapter 11, starting in verse 13, Paul says, I'm talking to you Gentiles, and as much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Now, some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Don't boast over those branches. If you do, keep this in mind. You don't support the root. After all, it's the other way around. And you might say, well, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in, and that's true, but they were broken off because of unbelief. You stand by faith. Don't be arrogant, but rather be afraid, for if God did not spare the natural branches, why do you think he's going to spare you? Now, Paul is mixing metaphors here, and he does this from time to time, and there's a little bit of a puzzle as to what exactly he is talking about, especially with the first ones. What he's referring to in terms of the part of the dough offered as first fruits and the whole lump or the whole batch uh, goes back to uh, Numbers, chapter 15, as I'm sure you remember from memorizing this passage. In Numbers 15... Yahweh says to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land which I am taking you, and you eat the food of the land, present a portion as an offering to Yahweh. Present a cake from the first of your ground meal, and present it as an offering from the threshing floor. Throughout the generations to come, you are to give this offering to Yahweh from the first of your ground meal. Now, If you uh, have noticed in the supermarkets, of course, you've got massive displays of matzah for sale for Passover. And you may have noticed on all all these little boxes, there's a a little little sentence that says, Challah is taken. Uh, C H A L L A H, Challah is taken. And now, Challah is not what a Jewish hip hop artist says. Challah is, and also, you know, the other issue, frankly, is that Challah also refers to a type of bread which. Uh, is usually eaten uh, at, at the S- uh, Sabbath meal, Friday night. Uh, it also makes great French toast. If you dig French toast, get the challah French toast down at Suburban House. Uh, but uh, but uh, challah here refers to the portion of the, of the dough that is given as an offering. Now, of course, nowadays, because there's no temple to present the offering, there's no priest to present it to, you can't really do anything with that, so what, uh, you know, if you go to a, like, a kosher pizza restaurant, you'll find that there's going to be a charred lump of dough on top of the oven, and what they're trying to, to demonstrate to their customers is they're saying, we have taken a portion of the dough, and we have faithfully tried to, to uh, fulfill Torah as best we can, so, you know, we're giving it to God in the sense that we're, we're basically burning it up. and charring it. So when, when you buy this box of matzah, you're being assured by the people who produced it that they've taken out a portion of the dough and they have, they have burned that up uh, and that they're, therefore you're, you're good to eat the rest of the stuff. And the, the idea here, of course, um, is that by taking that portion and by dedicating it, you make the whole batch of dough legit. Right? Now, it's not complete. It's still dough. And you could still fail to make that into bread. You could fail to do something worthwhile with it. But the idea is that you can, because you have made this dedication of of a portion of it, then you can work with it. You can can do something with it. And so I think what Paul is trying to say here uh, is that if you think of the dough as all of Israel, all of God's people, that, that lump would be that faithful remnant that you remember he was talking about earlier on in chapter 11. Remember, he says, did God reject his people? No. I'm an Israelite myself. I'm a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God didn't reject his people whom he foreknew. I mean, Don't you remember what Scripture says in the passage about Elijah? He appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they've killed everybody. Wah, wah, wah. God says, look, I've got... 7,000 reserved for myself that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. I have preserved a faithful remnant. And as we saw when when we looked at that passage, God historically seemed to be in the habit of preserving a faithful remnant of his people. And so you could say, well, what happened to God's people? And God could say, this is the people. This is the faithful remnant. I'm working from this now. And so the first fruits that portion of the lump that's dedicated. And of course when Paul was writing this the temple was still there and people still would have been dedicating that that first uh, lump of dough. I think what Paul is saying is that this faithful remnant is those who are of Israel, those who are Jewish who have recognized and accepted and trusted Jesus as Messiah, who have recognized as Paul did even though he didn't earlier that he is now realized and embrace the truth that Jesus is Messiah. And going back to that idea of the batch of dough being legit, the whole group being legit, I don't think the idea there is that he's saying just because some Jewish folks have believed in Jesus, then the whole group of Israel, the whole of the people that are genetically descended from Abraham, and specifically then from Isaac and Jacob, that they're all somehow perfectly set. They're sanctified. They're set apart. But as we've seen, what do you do with something that is sanctified? Why, why do you sanctify something? So you can do something with it. Right? You think about the implements in the temple, and the furnishings in the temple. They were all sanctified. They were made holy. Why? so that then they could be used in the worship of the one true God. And I think what Paul's saying here is that he thinks God wants to do something useful with this whole of his people. And that this first lump that is dedicated to him is the beginning of something worthwhile that he's going to be doing. And so then he moves on to this Idea of the olive tree. He says, if the root is holy, then so are the branches. And some of those branches have been broken off. You, the wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others. You now share in the nourishing sap from that olive root. Don't boast over those branches. Remember, you don't support the root, the root supports you. I think it's clear the branches here, the branches that have been broken off, would be those who are of Israel who have not recognized Jesus as Messiah. And the branches that are grafted in, these wild olive branches, would be Gentiles. These are people from outside the community that God has somehow made a way for and brought them in to this tree, this olive tree, that I think we are to understand as Israel. And if we're going to understand the root, let's go back and remember again what Paul said back in chapter 4 of Romans. I think he's tying this piece in. Remember in Romans 4, he talks about Abraham. He says, what are we going to say that Abraham discovered? Or what have we discovered about Abraham is another way you could translate that. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works and he had something to boast about, not before God, of course, but what does the Scripture say about Abraham? It says that Abraham believed God, he trusted God, and that was credited to him as righteousness, right? It's not like Abraham worked for God and deserved wages, to the person who doesn't work but who trusts God, who justifies the wicked, then it's his faith that's credited as righteousness. And David says the same thing about how blessed the people are whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sin the Lord will never count against him. So here's the key question, Paul says, when we think about this, we think about Abraham, we think about what David said, we think about blessing, and we think about how that blessing comes and when, in particular, when in the story of Abraham that blessing comes. He says, is this blessedness only for the circumcised, or is it for the uncircumcised as well? All right, we've been saying Abraham's faith is credited to him as righteousness. I, Paul says, I can imagine all of you nodding along with me at this point. So, under what circumstances was this credited? Bible quiz. Does it say in Scripture that it was credited to Abraham as righteousness before or after He was circumcised. Remember, circumcision being sort of this sign of the covenant between God and Abraham and to be his whole family. Was this credited before or after? It was credited before, not after, right? Abraham is declared righteous by the Holy Scripture. Torah says Abraham was declared righteous before he was circumcised. What that means, Paul says, is that we have to understand him as the father of, of all who believe, even if they haven't been circumcised yet. So that righteousness can be credited to them too. Now, he is also the father of the circumcised. He is the genetic ancestor of those who are the people of Israel. But he's also the father of the circumcised who are not only circumcised, but here's that faithful remnant, who also walk in the same kind of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. See, it wasn't through Torah, Paul says. It wasn't through Torah that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world. It was through the righteousness that comes by faith. if, If living by Torah gets you an inheritance, then faith has no value. The promise is worthless. After all, as we know, Torah brings wrath where well, there's no Torah, you can't have any transgression, but it, the promise, therefore, comes by faith, so that it may be my grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, all of Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of Torah, not only to those who are the Jewish people or part of the nation of Israel, but also to those who have the kind of faith that Abraham had, as it is he is the father of all of us, Jew and Gentile. As it is written, I made you a father of many nations, not just the one. He's our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. I mean, remember, against all hope, Abraham and hope believed. And so he became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He was about 100 years old. Sarah's womb was also dead, but he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. No, he was strengthened in his faith, and he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And that's why we read, it was credited to him as righteousness. And here's the thing Paul says. The words, it was credited to him, were written not just for him, but also for us, all of us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins. He was raised to life for our justification. might help to illuminate this if we look, too, at Galatians the other key place in Paul's letters where he riffs on Abraham. He he says, you foolish Galatians, in chapter 3 of Galatians, which is usually, they tell you, probably not the best way to try to persuade people. Uh, Paul broke all these rules. I love that about him. So Paul starts off with an insult. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you morons. Did you receive the Spirit by observing Torah? Or did you receive the Spirit by believing this gospel that you heard? Are are you really this dumb? Like, after beginning with the Spirit, are you now going to try to attain your goal by human effort? And Paul's dealing with a situation where there are folks in in the Galatian church who are being told no, it's not enough that you as a Gentile, you decide that you're going to follow Jesus and you trust him and you start trying to live uh, the way that Jesus taught us to live. You also need to become Jewish first, which means you need to be circumcised. Some people were understandably a little hesitant, but other people were saying, "No, this has got to happen you have to you don't you're not legit unless you are circumcised. And he said, have you, have you suffered so much for nothing? And they're like, suffering? It sounds like that's what's coming down the pike. If it really was for nothing, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you? I mean, God, Paul is saying you, you have a, a vibrant community where the spirit is powerful and he's active. Do you think that's the case because you're following Torah? Or is it because you trust God? I mean, think about Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So understand that those who believe are children of Abraham. And scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And it announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. And so those who have the faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. On the other hand, all who rely on following Torah, they're under a curse, just as it's written. Cursed is everyone who doesn't continue to do everything written in the book of Torah. Clearly, nobody is justified before God by Torah, because the righteous will live by faith, or by his faithfulness. Torah is not based on faith. the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of Torah, By becoming a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. How? Through Christ Jesus, through the Jewish Messiah, through Abraham's descendant, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And he goes on to say, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, or maybe through the faithfulness of Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And if you're Abraham's seed, then you're an heir to all the promises that God gave to Abraham and to his descendants you're one of his descendants you get to be part of that not because of any works you did like the kid on the cover of the bulletin you're a freeloader and that's good news that's especially good news for those of us who are gentiles most of us in this room i mean you know, you look back at what Paul says at the beginning of Romans, it, it, Romans chapter 9. He says, you know, it's good, it's good to, to be Jewish, it's good to be Israel. Look, I mean, you know, I, I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my, my own flesh. This, these, are, these are my people, and, and I love them. And think of all the advantages my brothers have. They, they, theirs is the adoption. As sons, theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of Torah, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from those patriarchs is traced the human ancestry of Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. So I think what Paul is trying to say here is that if the the olive tree is Israel, or perhaps more broadly God's people, or perhaps not, I think we understand the root that supports the olive tree to be those patriarchs, Abraham in particular, and then because, as we saw earlier, God confined the blessings given to Abraham to a particular line to the descendants of Isaac and then Jacob. And so what Paul is telling these these Romans, the church in Rome, and probably at this point speaking to a majority Gentile congregation in Rome, he said, you you guys are grafted in to Israel by God's grace, not because of anything you did. In fact, you don't belong there. I mean, this is a beautiful cultivated olive tree. You're a wild branch. You were let in to a party that you really didn't belong at so the last thing that you ought to be doing is thinking that you're doing people a favor by being there right now all these high school students high school seniors they're getting their acceptance letters to colleges and a whole lot of them are thinking that they are doing the college they're going to a favor by showing up there and maybe when you're 18 that's not too weird, but God's saying the last thing that you ought to be is arrogant. Because after all, I mean, what was it that got these other branches cut off? Arrogance. Trusting in their own doing the right thing. Trusting in their relationship to God through the things they had done the way that they were following Torah, thinking that they were entirely secure in that. Paul is saying it's always been about faith. It's always been about trusting God. It's always been about following him from the posture of humility, of gratitude. God doesn't owe you anything. So that means that really there is a whole lot at stake here and as we prepare in the next couple weeks to sort of wrap up what God has given us here through Paul's letter to the Romans in chapters 9 to 11 I think we're going to see that what is at stake is certainly the health of the community whether Gentiles and Jews are able to get along with each other And certainly, what is at stake is the eternal destiny of branches that are either grafted in or cut off. Nowhere here does Paul suggest that there are other trees that might be producing olives. He doesn't say that the branches cut off will be burned, as Jesus said about what happens in the vineyard. But what we're also going to see is that what's at stake is, again, not just the health of the community and not just the relationship that individual people have with the one God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it has to do with how useful this community can be to God. And after all, the point of having an olive tree is not just to have an olive tree. They're kind of ugly when you look at them point of an olive tree is to produce olive oil, to produce fruit. The point of making dough is not just to have dough to sit around. You make dough so that you can make bread. I think Paul is saying God wants to do something with his people. He has plans in mind. We can cooperate with them or we can try to do our own thing stakes for choosing that are very high. We'll talk about that next week. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for the word you've given us, and we thank you for the ways that your blessed Apostle Paul has obediently spoken through the Holy Spirit what it is that you gave him to write to his church at Rome, and what we are able to understand from that. We pray you would continue to illuminate our reading hearing, we pray that you would be gracious to guard us from error, that in all things you would foster in us an attitude of humility rather than arrogance, with respect to one another, with respect to your word, most importantly, with respect to you. And all this we ask through our Lord Jesus Christ, Israel's Messiah. Amen.